Hello and welcome to this Melbourne Business School podcast. I'm Jan Marshall. Today I have the great pleasure of talking with Amanda Sinclair, Professorial Fellow here at the school, and Christine Nixon, former Chief Commissioner of Victoria Police. After a series of introductions and uncanny circumstances, and we'll get to those a little later, Amanda and Christine formed a working relationship which led to their new book, Women Leading. The book argues that we need to get over the stereotype that women don't want to lead. Women have had a long history of leading, they just haven't been recognised for it. We'll be unpacking that more during our conversation. But to start us off, Amanda, can you tell us about the history of this collaboration and how this book came about? Sure. So uh, I've been interested in women's leadership and um, helping to think about leadership differently for a long time. And a friend of mine, I was actually supervising her PhD, said to me, uh, there's this amazing uh, policewoman in New South Wales uh, called Christine Nixon, and you really should talk to her as part of your work. And so I thought, oh, that's interesting. And then not all that long after that, uh, I read the news that Christine was coming down. She'd just taken the role of police commissioner in Victoria the first woman, of course, and uh, I think the first outside of... Um, Since 1956. Yeah. <laughs> and he was a major general. So. I'm Victorian. So I um, I wrote a letter in those days. You used to write letters, not just emails, and, and you know, said, look, I'm very interested in, in uh, doing some research and could I come and talk to you? And uh, so we met up and Christine, amazingly, you know, not long into our conversation, said, would you be interested to come and shadow me? Wow, what an opportunity for a researcher and what that meant and how it unfolded was that then I spent um, a couple of blocks of several days uh, you know going with Christine to all her meetings uh, sitting in on interviews and just sort of getting a, a flavor for uh, how she was going about the really interesting challenge of introducing change into Victoria Police. So I found it a really um, useful opportunity. I, I, I've, um, you know, I'd been in the police forever. Uh, I'd been involved in a lot of change in the New South Wales Police, and then coming to Victoria, um, I, you know, wanted to do a couple of things. And I, and I think Amanda's uh, support and and kind of role that she played uh, as one that's a really important thing to have someone do. I always like to have some people come from outside. I hadn't quite ever had someone really come and, and in a sense, watch me. And so this was a, a new opportunity and, and I wanted to, in a sense, get a sense of how someone else was reading what I was doing, how that was landing um, with people around me. So having someone who was um, able to do that, and particularly with Amanda's um, wonderful academic insights and background, uh, it, it was a really nice thing to do. And there was um, you know, that collaboration that started uh, then uh, and and then continued for quite a while and then and again we had another opportunity to uh, continue that collaboration with the, the development of, of a program we beca- both became involved in. And is there a reason for this book right now in this time? We think so. Uh, so our sense, you know, the, the book started out really, um, it was Christine's idea originally and, and she had been saying for a while that there were some uh, some ideas and some concepts about leading change that she felt you know people would be really interested in, and uh, you know there was an opportunity to to write a book around that. And the more we worked together and explored the ideas, um, some of it grew up out of our work together, and and you know standing in front of groups of um, women leaders and, and and sharing some of these ideas. It also dawned on us that 
women, of course, have been doing a lot of leadership, you know, for centuries. And in all sorts of contexts, women have led societies, they've led communities, they've led families, but they've often not been given that label. Um, it's often been described as kind of activism or uh, volunteering or even troublemaking and um, making nuisances of themselves. Um, but the qualities of that leadership have often been about dis- disrupting the sta- status quo. It's often been about innovating. It's often been about going against traditional norms. So it really occurred to us that women's leadership, it was timely to look at women's leadership and, and see what we could learn that was new about how to lead change, how to lead innovation, how to change society's organisations for the better, and that there was a big repository of intelligence, if you like, and experience out there that just needed to be conveyed, which is what we've tried to do in the book. I think I think we also, um, we, we were learning from other women as well. Uh, I think you can uh, look at a lot of the research, you can, you can think about, you know, what different, different kind of authors have said, but the other advantage I think we had was hundreds of women that we were working with and, and the program um, that, you know, we'd run together is a very collaborative one with the women involved and, and the women themselves do much of the work. They're the ones exploring their own thinking, their own ways of leading. And so we also wanted to kind of include that thinking. But as this book evolved, uh, it, it also kind of followed a model of really exploring uh, leadership itself, which we both had a long, long-term interest. And then it started to look at, so uh, the notion of achieving, what would you be doing? And, and that's an area I guess I've had a lot of practical hands-on. And, and I think one of the other things that's really nice about the collaboration really is a- Amanda's enormous sort of academic strong background. And, and I guess my kind of from the ground up, uh, trying to bring that change in, in teams and then organisations and, you know, after bushfires and a whole range of those things. So it brings the other really, uh, I guess, harder edge side of, of what's it like when you're really in the trench trying to do this. And so I think Amanda's done some of that as well, but putting that together allowed us to kind of have these two views. And so we also are about um, achievement and how you might go about do that and what are the lessons that we've learned. But I think the other piece we were both really attracted to was how do you do that and survive and flourish and enjoy? And so that became the kind of third aspect of what we wanted to explore. I noticed in the book that you both spent some time uh, talking about your backgrounds, which you uh, what came across to me was how important every part of our lives uh, is, uh, leading us towards leadership roles. Would you like to touch on your backgrounds and why they took you to where you both are today? Yeah. Look, I, I, I mean, first of all, the, you know, the, the really interesting piece about our backgrounds is that we're actually born on the same day, in the, in, um, the same month, in the same year. And that was a bit of a kind of like, oh my gosh, you know, and, and our friend who introduced us is the same and uh we think of it as the year of strong women or the day and the year of strong women yeah i mean well because one's a you know very senior academic another uh a vice chancellor and and very senior in finance and then obviously myself in the police so in thinking about backgrounds we do think it's really important at a number of levels to sort of share with the people uh that you're working with and you're trying to lead who you are you know where you come from what's important to you uh what are the things you're trying to do? It is part of your authenticity. It's part of your capacity to uh, to enrol people. Uh, is is being prepared to make that available uh, and share it. And um, there's also a section in our new book that that says that understanding where you come from is also helpful if you're encountering sort of challenges and obstacles because sometimes what you find is that, uh, and especially when we're working with groups of women, women have often been told things about what they should aim for, you know, 
you can't do that, <laughs> is a common message that a lot of women have been given. And, you know, they might have been given it in families or in school. So it's important to go back and revisit some of the messages that we've been given about how we should aim to change things, about what we can expect of ourselves and others. Um, you know, we see it as a really central part of being a reflective, authentic leader to both share that journey and to be open to reflecting on it and and growing from it. I think what it also does is, is let you think about the different roles you have in your life. And so we talk about that as well um, and, and recognise that, that, you know, you don't have just your work face on or your, you know, your home face in the sense you've got all those responsibilities. And I talk about having come to Victoria Police and, and used a public event to talk about, you know, the fact that I was a daughter and a spouse and, uh, and, the, and a constable of police and a citizen and that these were all the roles you know, that I had and I would try and juggle. And and I think that's a re- very much reflective of, of many of the roles women have. And I think that's a, a piece of saying, you know, you need to take into those account and, and not try and turn yourself into someone you're not. And I think that's what's happened in some cases. And we try and explain and encourage uh, women and men, I think, in many instances as well, about being yourself, about thinking where you come from, about not trying to adopt and adapt and be someone else, because that's, that's really harmful. Yes, I noticed that in the chapter you said uh, in that early chapter about leading from who you are was really important, not trying to transform yourself into something you're not. Do you want to talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, well, look, we think it's a very important issue and it's, a, it's an issue we like to explore with women because women do come under a lot of pressure sometimes to camouflage who they are as women. You know, they come under a lot of pressure to be careful about what they wear, about how much they speak up, uh, about their whole demeanour, their voice. You know, they're often coached on making their voice deeper, all of those sorts of things. And we don't want uh, women to go away from that thinking that they need to turn themselves in to be honorary men. Um, that that part of our message is about the importance of uh, of being comfortable in your body. And, of course, there's a lot of very fascinating cognitive science that now reinforces that if we do feel comfortable in our physical selves, that gets mirrored in our confidence, in our voice, and in how we come across to others. So it's important that women are given permission and encouragement to explore that. And, you know, Christine's speech, you know, I remember it was absolutely remarkable when I heard her swearing in speech and there was coverage of of it on the media, which was fascinating in itself. You know, historically, police swearing in were very sort of um, invited only affairs. But here we had a senior woman leader saying, I'm a woman and it's going to influence how I lead. I thought, yes. (laughs) Uh, And I think, you know, I'm sure we need more of that. I think, yeah, it's it, it's a piece about being comfortable. It's about your own presence. I think there's all of, of um, those sorts of things that we try and share lessons from other women, from ourselves, about how you can do those things and how you can um, not have to mask your ambition. I think this is really interesting piece, you know, that even saying you're ambitious is like, oh, no, you know, you're not, you're not allowed to talk about that. Well, I think we should talk about it. And um, one of the chapters talks about power and it, it really is about understanding how you can become powerless, you know, how you can then gain power and then hold power. And even talking about that when we run workshops, and you know, with women, it, there's this kind of sitting back in their seats when you talk about women and power. But, you know, Julia Gillard, I think, has a wonderful line which we use, you know, which, which really is, you know, gaining office is okay, but gaining power is what really counts. And I think, I think that we have to understand if you want to influence, you want to change, then it's okay to, to gain power, but use it ethically, 
use it with others, use it to improve the world around us and the situation. And I think, you know, that, that women need to kind of get a bit past this idea that ambition and power are dirty words because they're not. Christine, um, I'm thinking of you and that speech you made as you entered the Victorian Police Force. And um, I imagine the police force is, you know, it comes across to me as a strongly male characterised world. Mm. Uh, how do you think even setting the scene with that early speech helped set you up for your role as yeah. you went forward? Well, I think there's a couple of layers of it. One of the things we often um, talk about and I, uh, is that the signals you send, uh, you know, can be small, can be just, you know, people are watching to see what you're going to do, what you're going to say. And so um, I was discouraged originally from having this kind of big event because it was just, you know, not the done thing. And even when I ask often lots of uh, groups of students and others, some of them will say, oh, you wouldn't want to, you know, not fit in or you wouldn't want to make a point that you're a woman. And and so um, I then kind of obviously tell them, well, I went ahead and did this. But I think I think the signals you send early, the, the way you lay a foundation. And the piece for me was also saying that, you know, I'm coming into this organisation and, and I'm working with Victoria Police, but I don't work for Victoria Police. I mean, I think the really important part for me was that I worked for the citizens of Victoria and, and that it was them that I wanted to speak to. And and the police would hear it. And I mean, I remember getting an email from one of them, and I, I'm not sure this is in the book, but, you know, it was a comment that said, you know, you're the best of a bad bunch. And I went, well, that's faint praise, but it's better than nothing. And so the, the sense of I wanted to make the point that, um, you know, I, I would be a woman, that I would manage and behave in that way. And I think you have to set those expectations. It's about leadership. And, you know, if you're the one that thinks that you're going to sort of march out and, you know, lead, you know, the, the kind of white, on the white horse in charge, and he, of course, would be the one doing that, not she. We want to debunk all that and want to say not. It's about who you are. It's about setting expectations. And I think one of the other lines in my speech was, you know, this is, um, being a woman is not being about being soft, you know, ask any mother. And uh, I think that we sometimes under, uh, miss that, that real strength of purpose and 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 that's the kind of key pieces about being leader about what you what you're doing and how you treat people and and what you're trying to achieve it symboled uh, symbolized also change i mean in standing up and doing that um there was a strong sense in which you were saying i can see some areas where we might do things differently and um that's that's going to be my agenda. And I think one of the other things that we talk about, you know, in the early part of the book about is really setting that that kind of environment, um, you know, getting, understanding that you're, you're not the kind of, you know, your brains and smartest person in the room type of behaviour is not going to actually do it. You're going to have to work with, uh, in my case, in the police and in the bushfire recovery and others, you know, outside people and, and those pressures from without and pressures from within would be, you know, what would sustain and help us bring about change. And so I think that's a piece that's important to talk about as well. It's a big part of the message of women uh, leading because I think women have often led communities, groups, uh, societies in precisely this way. You know, if you start to look at history, if you start to look at some fantastic examples of Indigenous women in Australia, for example, who've been real leaders of Indigenous communities and white communities, it's often been because they, you know, it's in this way of recognising that you 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 need allies, you need supporters. Many times those allies are not necessarily the ones that are sitting alongside you in the formal roles, you know, uh, but that's that's what makes for effective leadership and effective innovation too uh, is that's part of the message and it is the antithesis of the traditional view of 
themselves a leader out the front who knows exactly where they're going and, you know, everybody else falls into line behind them. You know, that notion of the heroic person at the front with all the answers is uh, is still quite pervasive, you know, in our textbooks, in our media, in our case studies, and we really wanted to kind of debunk that and show the folly of that approach, um, drawing on all of those examples that I've described here. Yes, I know that we often talk about leadership and that it's a lonely place. One of the things you remark on is the importance of having someone beside you and it may be someone different from, you know, who you might normally think, the importance of partnering and not being a lone wolf. Yeah, I think I think it's uh, it it it's even when you're sort of standing in front of a group. I often will look into the group and and see people who are kind of nodding and they'll and you know they become my partners. I you know to stand at the front of any group, you know, um, and have the kind of heat on you from it. Um, it's, it's sometimes tough work, and so part of it for me was to look for those partners, look for people who you know keep your feet on the ground or give you some extra advice. I mean, you know, in Amanda's case, just going back to that point, um, you know, she gave me very good advice about how to deal with minister. And some of it was kind of like, oh, why didn't I think of that? You know, but you don't because you're kind of in the moment and you're, and you're sometimes just caught up or you just miss things. And so having partners is a really important piece of leadership, recognising, you know, that you can't do this alone. Um, I, you know, I'm talking about my husband who says, you know, keep your feet on the ground and, and that's a, you know, get a life, Christine. Um, and we talk about that piece in the sort of latter part of the book as well about how do you survive? You know, you can, you know, leaders who are trying to change and dramatically reform organisations, you know, can get done pretty easy you know they can get assassinated big term but but you know get easily kind of knocked off we, we just get rid of them we can go back to the way we always did things and I think that's part of it and then the other piece of course is you you know if you're on your own you can become a bit of the martyr you know the idea that you're like oh I'm I'm you know dying for the cause here and that doesn't do much good either actually I just want to pause a moment we'll be back after this very short break to those chosen to come here and to the organizations they represent Congratulations and welcome. You're making a clear announcement that you want to do more, achieve more and be more. While you're with us, you'll be among the best, learning from the best. You'll leave changed and then be called upon to lead change. So to you we say, welcome to Melbourne Business School. Welcome to the world class. We've touched a little bit on the fact that women haven't always been seen as leaders in history, and yet those who come to the fore, and Christine, I'm sure you've felt this too, are very much scrutinised by media, by anybody, and in ways that we simply don't see men scrutinised. It'll be about the hair, the clothing, the way you speak, anything that seems to be available as sort of fodder to scrutinise women. Can you talk to us a bit about that and perhaps why it is and what's it like to survive that experience as well? well and brush off and sort of get up the next day. And keep going. We keep going. <laughs> I often think about that. We were talking about that recently and we do in the book about, you know, Julia Gillard, how do you get up every day and, and put on those clothes that you've just kind of been criticised for because it doesn't cover your bum or whatever. Um, and I guess that that's a piece of what we really try to, to talk about. So part of, I think, Amanda's work in this is, is you know, which is really important is to talk about just recognising it, understanding it, understanding where it comes from. I mean, there's a, there's a lovely quote 
quote in the book, um, you know, which, which talks about the idea that, you know, some part of the country, you know, women's being sort of scrutinised at, at this moment and publicly, you know, castigated for what she's doing. And, and I think that's, there's a couple of things. One is it's so few of us. So it's really about the prominence, uh, you know, still, sadly, I'm you know, the only person who's been a female police commissioner. So that's kind of still a piece of it. But there are many, many other roles that, um, that you know, we're, we're um, you know, we've had very few women in and I think so I think that's a piece. Uh, I think the second is it's about trying to undermine and you've got to be recognised that that's part of what's happening to you and, and often in the you know, latter part of the book we talk about how to overcome that and how to, you know, make judgments on it. So I think the advice we're giving is to think through, you know, why is that happening? What's this about? And can I embrace it? I, you know, the can I embrace that kind of, you know, the way they're seeing me? And and I used to always wear my uniform. You know, and sometimes I didn't, and and but but many cases I did. And so whenever I was drawn up, I was this sort of very large, big blue, you know, but but often quite powerful. And so it was, you know, but in other cases it wasn't. And you go, who cares? You know. You, so I think you have to kind of judge it, but not judge your performance, not judge yourself on the basis of what someone, you know, some cartoon might be, um, you know, portraying about you. When we work with women on this issue, it's it's a complex one um, because you're both you're both helping, as Christine's just said, women understand that women are more visible. They are scrutinised, just as you said. Uh, they and of course with social media, it's it. I mean, there's a lot of uh, uh, feminist commentators who you know who talk about how that's given permission for a high level of kind of very misogynistic and sexist representation of women leaders, and it does have effects. There's no doubt about that. We know that the threat of that visibility can really discourage women. So it's important that we are realistic and we understand uh, that, you know, that 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 may happen. But at the same time, what you're seeking to do is give women strategies to deal with it so that it doesn't take you by surprise. Um, You know, one of the risks is to move from that situation to think, oh, well, women need to be given advice about what they should wear, you know, on suitable clothing. Um, We we had a woman one time who uh, taught lots of uh, women teachers and she said her advice to women teachers was, if I can see up it, if I can see down it, if I can see through it, don't wear it. And it was a, a sort of a pragmatic piece of advice. But of course, those young women teachers didn't appreciate it often. <laughs> so it it is fraught, the whole business that we need to give women extra advice on toning down their appearance or not dressing as they wish. Of course, women should be given the confidence to make those decisions themselves. Uh, and that's as a society what we should be aiming for. That's what we want to encourage. But knowing that, you know, you will be targeted for how you look, how you speak, how you come across is a helpful piece of advice because then women can say, okay, I expected that, but I'm going to focus on the content of what I'm saying or the content of my contribution. They can let that comment go past them. Gives them a good opportunity to understand, you know, to understand that process. So reading about the partnership between you two and how, Christine, you sought feedback from Amanda, as you were saying before, on on, uh, her as an observer and what you were doing and how things were landing. How do you see the importance of feedback and how do we give each other feedback in a constructive way that may, I I like the way you positioned that and said we give women confidence to make those choices themselves so they're making good choices. So something in the way that feedback works that helps that process. One of the examples, and and I think Christine will be uh, fine with me mentioning that, is when I was shadowing her, uh, we had the opportunity to go and visit uh, the minister at the time. 
and you know we went up to the ministerial offices and, and you know all this wood panelling and you know it's designed to intimidate the life out of anybody and uh, you know we were riding back to police headquarters afterwards and I said to Kristen I just said uh, you know I've never seen you sort of so uncomfortable you know you just didn't seem like yourself and of course that was enough for her well for me to say you're right you know so I'd go to these meetings with some sort of sense of thinking and now what's going to happen next and and in many ways it was I think about a power struggle it was mm-hmm. he wanted to explain to me that he was in charge and and uh, and there was some history about whether or not he'd actually wanted to hire me and so part of it but Amanda's advice was really you know simple and sensible and she said I noticed you don't have an agenda and I went no you know and and so there was useful someone outside who then kind of just saw simple ways that you can actually kind of change the dynamics I think one of her other suggestions was I could invite him to come to my office you know which is way bigger than his and uh, you know and he had to get all the way through headquarters to get there you know I think that changed the dynamic in the relationship and we also decided that at the end of each meeting you know we would just have five or ten minutes on our own and that built a relationship and and so uh, I think I think you know you learn from having sometimes people standing back I mean it's, it, what we also encourage people to do is stand back yourself to be reflective to kind of figure out what just happened there why is this not a productive environment and and I think you know, that's that's a piece of, of just sort of getting some good advice. And I mean, just going back to the clothing piece, you know, or your scrutiny of you, you know, just just being aware of it and thinking about it. Um, I remember giving some advice to some young engineering women who were pretty rare, really, and when I was talking to them. And I said, you know, you just need to think of the circumstance. So if you're on a building site, you know, put your boots on and, and put your gear on. And when you're in the office, you just wear what you like, you know, but be comfortable with it. You know, it's, it's, it's about what what you feel confident and comfortable to wear and I think that was the kind of point the only point I've made because we've had some interesting discussions with women who have been really unhappy when we suggested you know that even this issue about what women wear but it's more about comfort it's more about uh, confidence it's more about your own presence and and we think that's an important piece for women to be um, able to kind of recognize and get hold of and you know part of what we're always seeking to do in working with women is to recognize that women themselves know they they've got the answers <laughs> It's like the, the, the women teachers, you know, with a bit of encouragement, those young women would have worked out exactly what was a, a comfortable thing for them to wear in the classroom with a whole lot of teenage boys or, or kids. Um, they don't need to be told. They need to be helped to understand the issues and, and, and given the confidence to make good decisions. And I think that piece, you know, comes at the core of what the book really talks about as well. And this is about trusting people, having faith in people who work in organisations, having faith that those teachers, if you just sat down and said, okay, let's talk about what 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 would be, what do you think is the right thing? Thing to do and and the right thing to wear and you know a whole series of those things. What, what I found in in an organisation like Victoria Police or with people who'd been harmed in the bushfires is saying to those people, so tell us what you want from us, tell us what you think is important, and then drawing that together is really reflecting on the the you know how smart people are and how sensible and how they really want to do the the right thing and and what that then you know involves people in the change. And one of the chapters talks about achieving and how you might bring about that kind of a change in organisations. But you've got to make people do the work. They've got to do the thinking themselves. You, you know, the, the idea of the, you know, the tablets coming down, um, you know, and, and that'll just, you know, we'll all follow, I think it's a long gone. I think you've got to get the group to do the work. You've got to get an organisation to do the work themselves, challenge the way they've always done things. And
and to do that, you've got to have some faith and trust and belief in them and create, create an environment uh, where, you know, it's fertile for them to actually think about doing things differently. And Amanda often, you know, talks about making uncomfortable as well. So you might, you know, that's that's an important piece because if you want to really bring about radical change, it's actually uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. So there's a couple of different uh, little contributions to this way of thinking, but part of the role of leadership is always about turning up the heat a little bit. It is about destabilising people's understandings. And, you know, we know as good teachers, though, if, if everybody sits in our classroom feeling incredibly comfortable, they're not learning anything new. You know, they might be getting a little bit of knowledge, but our, our role as educators is always to to help them uh, see new ways of, of, of understanding things. And that always involves some testing uh, and, and, and sometimes being unpopular. I mean, so this idea that as a, as a leader, you might be um, driven to be popular, you, you've got to let go of that. You know, part of, part of it is accepting. <laughs> yeah, part of it is accepting is that, you know, that's a sign that you're probably doing your job if you're feeling, um, feeling a bit of hate yourself and also seeing your team feel a bit of hate. So it does involve obviously some judgment, but so that people don't fly off the top of that, of that particular uh, cooking pot, but you are certainly often trying to um, generate some, some new insight to that. How then do you hold that balance between creating that discomfort that you referred to? And we talked before about those leaders who sometimes, you know, can very quickly get um, swallowed up by a culture and an organisation and find themselves gone because they've caused props probably too much discomfort. I, I think within the, you know, the kind of middle piece of the book, we try and give people advice about, about how to influence, how to create the environment, how to manage it, how to manage the risks so that you can see. I mean, it's a very, um, very important balance you have to find. How fast can you move an organisation? How many things can they take on? I remember um, at Victoria Place, people said to me, oh, we'll, we only do really one big change per year. I went, gosh, I could be dead by the time we finish, you know. And and I went, we've we got to do more than that because we just don't have a lot of time. And so, so in a relatively quick time, we made a lot of small changes that made a big difference to people and created an environment. But you've got to kind of balance it. Sometimes also people say to me, we're really just worn out. You know, we're, we're tired. Of, of, um, of this. I mean, it's one of the things I learned a while ago about structural change, that it takes a massive amount of energy for not a great deal of gain. So I'm a kind of a, one of these people that says, no, what's the big things we need to focus on? And but so you I think, also, if I may interrupt, you also did a whole lot of quick wins that yeah, mattered yeah. That mattered to the people, you know, like, like the uniforms. Yeah, and, yeah. The, and you know, cars and a whole sort of series of things that, that, that kind of made the environment much better. Um, so I think you have to balance it. I think, I think you know, if you talk people, um, when I worked in the Bushfire Recovery Authority, you know, you, these people had really, you know, lost everything and, you know, they really had gone out of control. And in, in many ways, what we were wanting to do was recognise that, but bring them down, but not down, you know, too far, in a place that says, now you have to rethink your life. You know, this is an opportunity. You might not want it, but in how, you know, whatever you're going to build needs to be better than. Um, whatever you want to sort of think about changing might, might be, you know, you leave some things behind and you might be able to... Um, do things differently than what you used to do. So I think it's about how you manage that. And I think women are pretty good at this. You know, you, you judge a group, you judge the organisation, you kind of watch using your external advisors and, and signals and using a lot of data. Because we talk quite a bit about the idea that, you know, look at the, what is the research telling you? What does the data tell you? You know, what are the indicators looking like? I think the other piece that kind of helps to manage some of that, you know, is to also just give a, score, a scorecard. You know, where are we up to? What's it look like? You know, how are we going on this? And, you 
you know, we play footy and, you know, you keep score. Of course, you know who wins. And I'm very much an advocate for that because I think you can can kind of um, also judge how fast and how far you're going on the basis of what you're achieving or not. And so if it, if you're not achieving much, you're probably going to have to turn that heat up a bit more and start to make people think differently and force them into really taking those steps that will actually bring about the change that in so many cases they want. The other piece of that that I'd add is around how you manage that personally and that requires uh, some ego work, you know, that, that requires you to pause at lots of points and say, well, you know, how much of my ego is at stake here and, you know, is it possible for me to let go of that and focus on the bigger things we're trying to achieve? Um, and I think that work that you do as a reflective leader, um, knowing when the ego kicks in and is driving things, really, really helpful <laughs> to step back and 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 uh, realise that you can actually achieve a lot more without that um, that sense of your own kind of uh, agenda and defensiveness. Uh, really helpful. So as we're drawing our conversation to a close, is there any thoughts you might like to pass on to perhaps uh, probably younger women who are about to step into leadership roles? We often uh, ask, you know, different groups that we work with about, about you know, their advice. And, and that's generally drawn from, you know, I mean, one of the chapters we have is about uh, the wisdom of women. So we've asked lots of women about, you know, that kind of advice. And, and I, think, I think there's a range of things. You know, the idea is in your own mind that, you know, you can do it. You know, think about where you come from, but, but don't let it hold you back, you know, in terms of thinking about what, what's possible and um, what you're able to do. You know, I often say to people, you know, keep your sense of humour and perhaps your sense of wonder may on occasions I, I think you know so you can and and be prepared to do the work you know um, I, I have to say I saw a lovely line the other day which I gather is not without a controversy that you know if you're going to choose a partner make sure you choose a, a really good partner um, and <laughs> and because sometimes when I watch is sadly you know is, is women uh, are held back by by um, partners that just aren't supportive and, and in fact they're quite damaging and I've been lucky enough to have a, a great partner who's incredibly supportive some other things, um, you know, we often have panels of very impressive women and, and they talk and, and they talk, both talk and enact that there are many paths. You know, we get women who are very sort of logical and strategic in their careers and then, you know, we get equally impressive women who've just been very entrepreneurial and taken opportunities and grabbed things that they weren't sure they were going to be able to do. But, you know, so there's many different models. Um the other thing that is really evident is that it's always good to be very supportive of other women. I mean, gee, it matters. It makes so much difference uh, to have somebody else say, you could do that. You'd be great at that. <laughs> and that's all it takes. You know, you don't have to do a, anything more than that, but uh, sort of um, being aware of how much you can build other women. And, and we often say, you know, that, that if you're part of these programs, um, then there's one commitment, you know, and that is you will support other women. And as you, as you kind of climb up, you know, hierarchies, then, then you know, you pull the others up with you. And, and uh, um, I, I think that's the that's you know climbing and lifting and is a Joan Kerner's line um, and I think that's a, a lovely way of saying that you know we often hear uh, some women talk about other women not being supportive look I think there are there's some instances and I certainly had a few but they're always balanced off for me you know by 90% who were supportive and encouraging versus you know 10% in many ways you know as I got older I recognised that they were just 
just not confident, that they were fearful, they didn't know whether they could cope in this new world that we were proposing. So I think, um, you know, we, we need to check ourselves about being critical of the, about other women. We need to make sure that once you are in any kind of position of power, that, that you make sure you, you create that environment. When I got to Victoria Police, people said, you know, you're now going to stop supporting women. I went, oh, seriously. <laughs> you know, this gives me the best chance I've ever had. And, and, and that was also about family violence. It's about sexual assault. It was about the broader issues for women that we need to be talking about and need to be supporting other women in and uh, recognising, you know, that, that um, you know, we need to be there for our sisters. Yes. And all of the evidence, of course, is that, you know, that does enable those broader organisational cultural changes uh, that are so pivotal and, you know, the broader societal changes if you've got a diversity of talent and is, is part of it. I mean, one more thing that um, is often on the minds of uh, women who are leading in different sectors is that they have bigger lives. You know, they have interests, they have friends, and if they feel as though they're really losing touch with some of those interests, if they haven't got along to, you know, their, I mean, Christine's a great mosaicist. You know, that's a, a way of her kind of having a whole set of interests and an identity and a sense of her value outside it. You know, for me, it's yoga and my interest in mindfulness and meditation. Um, they're great antidotes, you know, when um, when things get out of perspective, you know, they, they provide us with sustenance and so on. So that's part of part of it too, is making sure you don't let those things go. And, and that kind of is really the essence of the book, which is talking about women can lead. Here's some ways to do it, but here's the way to flourish as well. How do you um, how do you make sure you know you you're strong and capable and and able to um, feel like you know when you go to work it's it's cherishing and it's not harmful. Amanda and Christine, thank you for sharing your insights today about women and leading. Thank you. Thanks, Jen. Amanda Sinclair and Christine Nixon's book Women Leading will be available July 7 via Melbourne University Press. You can also find more information on leadership via our website at mbs.edu.